Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. I'm a little overwhelmed by the feelings that I have today, uh, family, um, you know, and, and of the need for our family as a church to really grow up as well as to grow bigger. I, I mean, that may sound bad, and I hope you don't take it bad, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit here in just a few minutes. Ephesians chapter 1 is where I want you to take your Bibles and turn if you have those, and we're going to look in Ephesians for a couple of verses of scripture, a couple of different places, and then I'm going to look somewhere else too. So it should be up on the board, and you should be able to follow along with that as well as in your Bibles or on your phones or however you do that. So let's pray together. Father, right now I just ask you to be here. Lord, every once in a while we preach a sermon that just weighs so heavy on our heart that we don't know what to do, and this is it. You've given this to me, and, and all week long it's just been getting bigger and bigger, and, and today as I sit in here, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Part of me wants to just walk out the door and not say anything. But God, you've given this to me. And I just ask you to be here today and to speak to me and speak to the people. This is your church. These are your people. This is our family. God, they mean so much to me. Every one of them, as I look out there, I see their faces, Lord, and I've had relationship with them for so long. And yet, Lord, so much can come between us. And I just pray, God, that you will move today in a beautiful and powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, it says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And then go down to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul still writing, he said, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in Matthew, uh, you don't have to turn there, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus is talking to the crowd and his mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And in pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Man, those are powerful, powerful words that I don't think we fully get. That we have been invited to be a part of God's family, not outsiders. You don't get a kind of look in on the outside. You're part of his family. You've been invited in. Have you ever been away from your family for a long time? A time where you walked away and you, you had to go do other things or maybe you went somewhere? I, I had that happen. In, in 1975, I loaded up into my dad's 64 Chevy and we headed to Olivet Nazarene University for my freshman year at Olivet. My sister was going as well. And my dad drove us up there. He got to the dorm and we unloaded my stuff on the corner out on the sidewalk he got back in his car, and boom, he was gone. And I carried my stuff, my stuff up two flights of, sto- uh, of stairs into Olivet, into Chapman Hall, where I became 
a freshman at all of that. I, I knew my roommate, his name was Jim, he grew up with me, but I didn't know anyone else in that whole dorm. And I got to meet the guys, and after a while it was fun, we got to know each other, we had a good time, but after a while I began to, I began to feel sort of lonely. Anybody else ever been there where you're, you're out there, you know you belong sort of, but, but you're kind of lonely, and, and that's where I was. And uh, I knew I didn't really belong. I mean, I belonged. I was supposed to be there. I paid the bill, so I knew I had a room, but, but I didn't really belong. I didn't know these guys. I, I didn't fully know these people. I, I didn't fully trust them to fully know me either. I, I wanted them to think good of me, so I, you know, I made sure that they saw my best side all the time. I remember going back home after about two months. I stayed up there for about two months, and then I finally went back home. I remember walking in my mom and dad's house, and there was such a different feeling from that dorm room, and it wasn't just the good cooking. It was that sense of, this is where I'm from. This is where I belong. This is where I'm supposed to be, and I could let my hair down. I could be my same old nasty, horrible self, and my mom was still going to love me. It was like, wow. I could be fully me. I didn't have to hide anything. Here I was known and I was accepted. Here I knew the people, my mom, dad, my sisters, and I was fully accepted by them and I fully accepted them. I went to church that weekend and I loved my church. Anderson First Church is where I grew up and I walked into that church and the same faces that had been there two months ago greeted me and they were glad to see me. At least they said they were. I think they were, who knows, uh, maybe not. And, and I walked in there and, and they greeted me and I felt like I belonged. I'd been going over to college church, but it never felt like I belonged. I always wondered, you know, wow, you know. But I walked in there and I belonged, I fully belonged. They knew me and I knew them. They loved me and accepted me like I was. I, I want to read you something here that I think is so important. And I, I don't know if this is going to be on board or not, but, but this is such a, an amazing uh, statement, and I read that read it this week, and, and it's so amazing. It's it says this: the experience of intimacy, of being completely known and accepted, and the experience of knowing someone and completely accepting them is the most satisfying experience we can have as a human being. Let, let me give it to you one more time because you might have went to sleep during that, and I don't want you to do that. This is so important: the experience of intimacy of being completely known, accepted, and the experience of knowing someone and completely accepting them is the most satisfying experience we can have as a human being. And I really truly believe that's true. And I wonder, have you ever fully experienced that where, where you went in a place and you were fully accepted and accepted others and you knew each other fully, you knew all about each other, you had all the secrets, all the, the good things and the bad things and you still loved each other deeply. Have you even experienced that at home? See, a lot of us, I wonder if we even experience really true intimacy at home. If we're not simply going home and we say, oh yeah, I belong there, but we really, we really haven't truly told everybody and exposed ourselves for who we really are. See, the relationship we have with God is meant to be that experience. We are supposed to experience that where, where God who fully knows us and we who fully know him fully accept each other. That's, that's why people are hungry for that. There's a, that, that was what God meant for us in the garden. But many of us, most of us, try to hide things from God. Anybody here ever tried to hide anything from God? It's a foolish endeavor. In case you wouldn't know, God knows everything. So he knows all about you. But we do try to hide things from God. We fear his disapproval and his rejection. And when we hide things from God, we begin to feel Satan's condemnation. 
Anybody here ever feel the condemnation? I did that, and oh my goodness, you feel condemnation. You know what? It's okay to raise your hand in church. I, I, and when I ask those questions, I seriously want you to participate. It would really encourage me greatly. But when we feel condemnation, it's normal because Satan whispers condemnation into your heart. As soon as you've done anything, if you hide it, condemnation follows right on its heels. promise you, every time. So I want to start off by being clear here that Number one, God fully knows you, okay? God fully knows you. He knows all about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your sin, both past and present, and that which you've hidden. He knows your desires. He doesn't know just about you. He doesn't see you just at your best. God fully knows you at your best, and he fully knows you at your worst, and he's seen you without your makeup on, and he still loves you. Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8 say this, The Lord, he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So let me declare to you today, truth. God knows you intimately, accepts you fully, and God loves you no matter what. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he loves us so much. And that includes you and me. We are included in that love. In fact, God loves you so much that he invited you to be his son, his daughter. He's invited me to be his son. I do not understand that, but I am so thankful for it today. Ephesians chapter 2, that I read to you earlier. He has called you to be members of his household. God has called us and made us to live in full intimacy with him and with others as part of his family. And he's called us to know him fully and to be known by him. To know others and to be known by others. So I want to look at four things about this. That I, I want to take a little closer look at them. And, and I want you to hear me on these things. Because I, I really feel a burden for this today. I really do. And I want you to hear this. Number one is we're invited by Christ into God's household to be adopted by God into his family. Now, let me explain that. We have this notion that our relationship with God is just between us and him. Uh, that's because of the way we teach it in America today. You know, I, I need to get saved so that I can go to heaven. Uh, I need to get saved so that I can go to heaven, so that I can be with him. And, and we talk about us and God like it's just this relationship. It's just like this all the time. That's, that's kind of the way we talk about our relationship with God. And I got to tell you the truth, nothing could be farther from the truth. It is not about just you and God at all. The Bible never teaches that anywhere. God has invited us into intimacy to be fully known and to know him fully. And he's invited you into intimacy to be known by other people and to know them. This church, when we gather together, is not supposed to be a group of strangers who just talk about the weather. Thank you. A little word there. Didn't think maybe we can get that, you know. We are to be known and fully known. Along with that, he's called us to know and to love all of those people out there around us. We are created by God to be family, to be family in all that that means. Psalm 68, 5 through 6, God, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. That's who God is. He created us to be in families. 
You weren't created to be alone. You weren't created to go off and be by yourself. John Wayne is a weird dude. He likes to ride off into the sunset alone. That's crazy. That's stupid. No, you don't do that. That's not who we were made to be. We are most healthy and alive when we're living in a healthy family relationship. Healthy family of believers. So our goal as believers of Jesus Christ and as a church should become to be intimate, intentionally intimate, created real family, creating real family and community. It should be an intentional thing. That should be the goal of the church. The church should be working to create intimate relationships with each other, to become a family. And that's more than just singing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Way more than that. It's real intimacy that we're shooting for. To create a place where we can be known, I want you to know me. I want to be known. I want to, to be so known that I don't have to worry about walking in here and everybody going, I wonder what he's really about. Okay? That's why sometimes I stand up here and I tell you things that bother some of you. Because I know sometimes you think, pastor shouldn't have any problems, shouldn't have any sin, shouldn't do anything wrong. And sometimes I tell you, oh man, I messed up this week. I said some dumb things to my wife. I upset her. And you're all going, oh man, he can't be a very good pastor. He, he did that. You know what? I want you to know me because I'm just like the rest of you. We all struggle together. And God has put us together to know that about each other so that we can lift each other up. To create a place where we can be known and accepted and loved. I, I tell you that and my prayer is, is that you'll accept me anyway. That you'll love me anyway. That no matter what I've done, you're not going to go, well, there's something wrong with him. But you're going to say, hey, you know what? Welcome to the club. And you'll hug me and pray for me. I need a place where I can know others. Where I know about you. Where you come in and you talk to me and you talk to each other and you share what's going on in your life. The intimate details, the stuff that no one else should hardly know, you think. And oh my goodness. But, but you tell it in hopes that they'll accept you and love you and care about you anyway. Because see, here's the problem. When we hide those details, there's condemnation. And we walk in the church and we see some brother so-and-so and we think, well, he's so holy and I feel condemnation because he's good and I'm not. Or sister so-and-so, she never does anything wrong. I, I remember a lady that I, not in this church, in another church that I was at, that I was talking to her one day about sanctification and I said, uh, I'm glad that she was telling me her sanctification story. And I said, well, that's good. And I said, uh, so how do you pray when you pray? When you pray for like uh, your, you know, your sin and when you pray for your, your failures or when you pray uh, you know, for uh, confessing, how, how do you do that? Well, I don't do that. I, why not? Well, I haven't sinned since I was sanctified. And how can you relate to that? Anybody here that would tell me today you've not sinned in the last 30 years? Because I want to I shake your hand. I want to take you out and rub that all over me. Because I need some of that. You know, the, the only one who's sinless is God. Okay? And, and so when we, when we fake it, when we act like it didn't happen, when we aren't being willing to be intimate with each other, the problem is, is there's condemnation. And so when I act like I've got nothing wrong and I'm walking around and you're going, man, I can't relate to him. It brings condemnation to your heart or vice versa. 
So we need a place where we can know others and accept them and love them. And when we fake it and try to hide the truth about ourselves, we're stopping the church and others from having what God really desires for all of us. There's a point in the Bible in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where you see true community happening immediately after Pentecost. And the scripture said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods. They gave it to everyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So here's the deal. They devoted themselves, first of all, to the teaching. And it doesn't mean they just came to church a lot. That's not what it was. They didn't have a church like we have now. It means after hearing and learning something, when they listened to the apostles teach, they went home and they put it into practice in their lives. They were devoted to living it out. Secondly, they met to take communion and practice forgiveness and restitution. That means they got to know each other. They spent time hearing each other talk. They spent time knowing about each other. They got up and they took turns. They confessed their sins one to another. They told the truth. They didn't hold it back. Man, I was a little angry this morning. I, I was trying to get ready for, for work, and, 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 and my wife wouldn't let me in there. I couldn't get my hair combed. Or, you know, and so I got a little upset. You, know, you, you confess the truth, whatever it might be. And, and, and they, they met and they prayed together for themselves and each other because all of us are in need of prayer. And they knew that they cannot just pray by themselves. They needed what we do on Wednesday night where they gather in to pray. And they prayed for each other. And they witnessed God, and God began to do miracles and signs through them in their community. And they met one another's needs, and they had everything in common, and people were being drawn to it. And then something happened in the middle of that. In the middle of that story, chapter 5, there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be a part of that. And so they had some land, and they sold their land, and they were going to do what everybody else did. They were going to bring the money in, except they talked to each other, and they said, you know what, we could use some of that money for ourselves. Let's hang on to half of it. We'll give the other half, which is legitimately a good thing for them to have done. But here's what they did. They came in, and they told them, hey, here's the money for the land. And they made them understand that they gave the whole thing. But they didn't give the whole thing. What they did is they lied. What they did is they broke intimacy. They no longer told the truth. They hid the truth. They, they acted like they were doing something they weren't doing. And I'm going to tell you something. God believed in intimacy so much so, it was so important to God that he took this couple's life immediately. They both died Right after saying that they did it. The first Ananias came in. He was asked, is that everything? Did you give the whole amount? Yes, sir, I did. Boom. Down he went. They carried him out. His wife walks in. She has no idea. Sapphira walks in. So did you guys, when you sold that land, did you give everything, the whole, the whole amount? Yes, we did. Boom. Down she goes. And they buried her right beside him, the Bible says. And you go, man, that seems kind of cruel. But see, here's the deal. That's how much God believes in our being honest and intimate and in relationship with each other. Because that's what he intended in the beginning. That's what he intended in the beginning, you know? I wonder what would happen in church today if every time you told a lie, your pants caught on fire, you know? I mean, it changed things. Number, second, uh, number two, secondly, to truly become an intimate, healthy family or community, we have to change from doing what is best for ourselves to doing what's best for the whole family. 
That means we mutually submit to one another in love. We are not selfish or self-seeking. Paul wrote about this in Philippians and Romans. In Philippians chapter 2, he said this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that means when we make choices and decisions about life, we take the whole family into our consideration, not just our own wants, wishes, and desires. I want you to grasp this. What I do as a part of the family of God affects what happens in your life. And I need to make sure that I'm doing what is right for the whole community. And that's not only true for me, but it's true for you as well. Everything that you do, when you make a decision, it affects me. It affects all of us. All of us. Because we're family. And here's the truth. The community, the family is more important than just me. It just is. There's a lot of things that I've thought about doing. I said, man, I better not do that. It's going to affect my family. I don't want to mess up things. So I don't do it. We come to understand and live in the reality that the way we live and love people is a direct reflection and demonstration of how God loves us. And how we live and love people will have a direct impact on others' decisions to follow Christ or not. What you're doing in your life matters. It's setting a story. It's a reflection that others are looking at, and it's a reflection of God. Because a lot of people are never going to read this book, but they're going to read you. Now, love for yourself is absolutely a necessity. It's a vital part of caring for others, but putting others' needs ahead of your own, living in humility, considering others' needs is vital to how we love others. Love must be sincere in Romans chapter 12. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourself. Those are Paul's words, and those are good words. Third thing is this, when we enter into the family, the community, we enter into a covenant relationship. This is something that a lot of us don't even know about. But I think you need to. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you and says, I repent, then forgive him. A covenant is way more than a contract. A covenant is a promise relationship. A covenant is kind of like a will in that in the covenant, it's set up by one side to benefit the other side. That's what a will does, right? When you write a will, you're not going to be around when they execute it. You're going to be dead. So it's to benefit everybody else. So God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham when he, he said, I will be your God. It was on him. And he walked between these sacrificed animals that had been split in half, and he walked between them and said, no matter what happens, no matter what goes on, may it be to me, be done to me like these animals if I break this covenant. He said, I'll be their God. I'll love them no matter the circumstances. I might have to discipline you once in a while, but I'll do it out of love. Abraham was going to be the beneficiary. Abraham and his children <coughs> were going to be the beneficiary of that covenant. God took a covenant oath with Abraham as he walked in that animal sacrifice. And that's the relationship you're to have inside of your family, this family, the church family. I'll tell you the truth no matter what. I'll be there for you no matter what. You can trust me 
no matter what. You can count on me, no matter what. You're every bit as important as I am, no matter what. You're as important to me as my physical family. Okay? That's good stuff. It's true. This church family is every bit as important as your physical family. It really is. I can't emphasize that enough. Jesus described it in Luke. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive him. No matter what, forgive him in spite of how you feel. It's a covenant. You'll rebuke, forgive, and forgive no matter how often you have to do it. You'll forgive. I'm so thankful that my church, when I grew up, forgave me like 10,000 times at least because I was a kid and I was a dumb kid and I was full of it and I acted it out like so many of our kids do today and you forgive them and guess what they still forgive me now even when I'm older and they forgive me they forgive me we have to work to intentionally grow in our capacity to trust and forgive others we have to work at intentionally growing our capacity to be trusted you and I are working on that in our lives. We will covenant to draw out the gifts and graces from all people. We will value and honor one another even if we disagree. It's a covenant, not a contract. That means we can be Republicans and Democrats and go to the same church and love each other. Come on now. That should get you an amen. I don't care. Maybe you should have the Democrats sit over here and the Republicans over here. I don't know. No, we won't do that. But, you know, you could, that, there's nothing wrong with that. It shouldn't stop us from loving each other. We're in a covenant. We'll value and honor one another, even if we disagree. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's pretty one-sided. I'm going to love you no matter what you do. You're going to screw up. You're going to say bad things about me. You're going to act in a way that I don't appreciate. Guess what? I'm going to love you. You're going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to love you. Period. I'm never going to take offense. Offense is sin. There's no point ever in taking offense. When we take offense, all we're doing is giving in to Satan and allowing him to take control of our lives. You know that offense is the number one reason people leave our church family? They get upset. They get their feelings hurt. He didn't ask me to do it. She said something about me. I don't like the way that their attitude was. The music isn't what I like. And people leave. They're offended. And you know what? Satan wins. Because offense, there's never a time for it in a covenant. It's a covenant. We love. No matter what happens, we love. I have to promise you to love you and forgive you and hold on to you and to hold you in the truth, and I'll do that no matter what. You can say whatever you want to about me. You can beat me up. You can do whatever. That's what they did to Jesus. While they were whipping him on the post, while they hung him on a cross, he didn't say, well... I'm offended and I'm coming down off of here. That's it. I'm done with this group. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even understand what they're doing. Amen? The fourth thing is this. We're loyal. We'll demonstrate our loyalty, especially when people fail and fall. We do not punish. We do not shame. We do not give up on or abandon those who fail to say, uh, just so that we can save face. We do not leave our family just because something happens or they choose to do something I don't like. We are fully committed to helping people be completely restored. 
We're, co- we're going to be fully committed to the others in our family. We are responsible to speak up with loving confrontation when others in the family sin. We will not sweep sin under the rug or accept sin because we're afraid of offending family. When you're wrong, you'll be called wrong. And you'll be asked to change. But you'll be done in love. We'll help them see that as part of God's amazing family, that you are way too precious and important to live that way. And we will practice forgiveness. Forgiveness will become the very standard of who we are. People will look at us and say, that's the church that forgives. Everyone is given the opportunity to rebuild trust in the church family community. How do you give up on a brother, your kids, your wife? How do you give up on someone you've covenanted to love? I'm so glad that God is loyal and never gave up on me. The experience of intimacy, of being completely known and accepted, and the experience of knowing someone and completely accepting them is the most satisfying experience we can have as a human being. It's what God made you for. It was his plan in the garden from the very beginning. It's what he wanted. When he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, that's what he came for. I've been telling you, God created this world as his temple. He created it for him to live in along with us and to fellowship with us and to walk beside us and to live with us. And it was all lost when we sinned. And it tells about it in Genesis chapter 3. The world was perfect. There was all this food, everything, all the trees. And he said, there's that one tree. Don't eat that one tree. And Adam and Eve chose to eat from that tree. And here's the deal, when they chose to do that, they didn't go to God and say, man, we messed up, we're sorry. There would have been forgiveness. Instead, they rocked right over and grabbed some leaves off a tree, and they covered themselves up because they were naked. And you know what that was? Immediately, that was a separation between them. Intimacy lost between them as human beings. They suddenly noticed they were naked. They noticed they were naked. You know, clothes, thank you for wearing them by the way but clothes are the first step of saying we aren't going to be intimate you know we cover up this fat with clothes that hides it so you don't have to see that so you think i'm thin you know if i wear the right ones i heard a college president all of that not dr bowling the one before him say one day he goes double-breasted hides a multitude of of sin and especially pounds I, just a thought, you know. But anyway, that's why we used to wear suit coats. You know, it, it hit all that. But now we're just out there in plain sight. We're less worried about that, more intimate. But anyway, they covered up. And that was the break of intimacy between them. And then the second thing they did, same thing they did, is when God came calling on them, they ran and they hid. Once again, separation between them and God. Intimacy lost. See, God created us for that intimacy with each other, and with him we're supposed to be able to be completely honest with you with each other and god is and and with god and be accepted when we lose that intimacy with god and each other life becomes about faking it and trying to pretend it's lies that's where most of us live lies oh i'm glad i'm not like them (laughs) the good news is that even though we are sinners we are invited by christ into god's household to be adopted by god into his family We're invited to be real. We're loved by God. He invites us to be restored and to know him fully and to be fully known. That means we mutually submit to one another in love. We're not selfish or self-seeking. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. But we are mutually submitting to each other in love. 
We are loved so we can love each other. We're not bent on trying to get our own way. We're loving each other. We love each other as God loved us. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Translated, it means put down your guard, quit trying to fake it, and love somebody instead. This week on Facebook, some of you may have read this, there was a, a, a testimony that Pete Phillips, Pete's right over here, raise your hand, Pete. So everybody can, he's got a long way up there. When, you, when Pete raises his hand, you can see Pete. Pete's a tall guy. But anyway, Pete Phillips put his, put his testimony on Facebook. If you have Facebook and you haven't read that, go put Pete Phillips in and find him and read his testimony. And if you like him, friend him. You should because he's your brother. Okay? So anyway. But anyway, he, he, he put his testimony on there. And it was raw. It was really raw. Told a lot of details about his past. And it wasn't very pretty. Pete's past was not very pretty. And uh, as he shared it, man, my heart was broken for him. I, I knew most of it. He'd already told me. But he put it out there for everybody to hear. Yes? I know it. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Pete. Now, Pete stood naked and vulnerable among us this week. You know, most of us don't have that kind of courage to put what we have been and who we have been. And here's why he was able to do that. And this is the best part about it. I mean, I'm telling you, this is so good. He could do that because he knows he's loved by his Father. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he could stand naked in front of you. And see, here's the deal. When he did that, we have the choice to make. We can go, well, Pete, I'm glad I'm not like Pete and be like the Pharisees. Or we can go, wow, Pete, I want to be like Pete. I want to tell the truth because the truth sets you free. That truth sets you free. When you are that kind of vulnerable, when you open up your heart and say, look at me, in that kind of way, Satan can't do a thing to you anymore. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. Yeah. See, immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, they begin to be condemned. Satan began to condemn them. And why could he condemn them? Because they hid. You know, if they'd have run straight to God, God, you wouldn't believe what we did. We ate of the fruit. We are sorry. God was said, no problem, let's take care of it. Instead, they hid it, and Satan said, you're in trouble, you better hide. Anybody else ever heard that voice? Daddy's not going to like you, mom's going to hate you, you're not good enough. The church, if they find out about you, are going to kick you out. Amen. So we've been hiding ever since. Pretending everything's good when we're a fat mess underneath our hiding place. Hoping no one sees us for who we really are. Hoping no one I know gets angry and yells at me. Hoping no one I know has a bad attitude. Hoping no one ever hears about my, or knows I have a bad attitude. Hoping no one ever hears about my sordid past. 
hoping no one ever hears about my food addiction, my alcohol addiction, my prescription drug addiction. Not talking about me necessarily here. So don't go, oh, pastor's got, metaphorically speaking. One never knows how really lonely I get, so I binge watching Netflix or sports, you know. Is that sin? It is if it's replacing intimacy with other people. So all the promises of God are ours. We've been forgiven. We'll be forgiven. As often as you need it. You go to God and you say, I messed up. He says, it's forgiven. Sin's already dealt with. He says, all I want is you. Sin's already been dealt with. At this church, we will not allow ourselves to live in offense. Just don't do it. We've made a covenant to others as well as to Christ. We're going to love them, period. We're not going to give up on anyone. We will not abandon anyone. We will not shame anyone. We are family. You are family. You need to know me fully, and I need to know you fully. We need to be fully known because God knows me fully. I love that. I love that truth. That's what God's called us to. This is our church. That's what the church is meant to be. And that's what it means to be his people. Nathan's going to come up. We're going to sing. I don't know if anybody needs to pray today, or maybe you just need to go see somebody and forgive somebody, or maybe you just need to thank God, or whatever you want to do today. I don't care. You know, I'm just here trying my best to tell you what God's been sharing with me and putting on my heart. Thank you. You're welcome. God is so good. And I do love this church. I don't know about you guys and where you stand with everything, but I love this church. I love you as people. I love God's people. I love the church as a whole. I love the Nazarene church. I love the church as a whole all around this city. I believe God is wanting us to make a difference in this community. He's tired of us watching, tired of us sitting in our buildings. It's time for us to love people. And the only way you're going to do that, the only way we're ever going to do that is for us to become a family who accepts each other. Because here's the deal. You know, we sang a song, I'm no, long, uh, uh, no longer a slave to fear, right? Okay, the reason you're no longer a slave to fear is because one, God's forgiven you, because he knows you fully, and because you're fully known in here. And so you can go out there and do whatever. And if they laugh at you, you can come back here and go, they laughed at me. And everybody here goes, well, I don't know why. You're the greatest person that ever lived. Amen? That's right. Let's stand together. If God's speaking to your heart and you want to pray... Please come up. We'll pray together right now. Father, we're thankful today. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful, Lord, that you know us. You forgive us, you restore us, you know us, and you love us. You know us, and you've invited us to be your family. And Lord, I thank you for this family, the church family. God, that they can know me and still love me, that I can know them and love them because we are loved by one who is greater than us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do. We love you today. We praise you. Lord, my prayer is is if there's anyone who is dealing with offense in their heart right now, those who maybe are struggling to forgive someone, that today, today, Lord, they would know that they too 
are, are, are broken, and they too are only people who've been forgiven by you and that they could forgive others, that they could forgive. Lord, that we could become intimate with each other, that we could begin to tell the truth, that our testimonies would ring true, and that people would be drawn to you because we tell the truth. Thank you, Lord, for that. We love you and praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.